Welcome to the season finale of Political Traction. As Canada charts a course through a queasy economy, last week's federal budget landed without much of a narrative. With a focus on clean tech, new taxes on the financial sector, and a few nods to affordability, the 2023 budget had bankers furious and dentists celebrating. I'm Adam Owen, joined today by Alex Ballingall, a reporter for the Toronto Star's Parliament Hill Bureau, and Navigator's own Danielle Medlej, a liberal strategist and former director of communications for the Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion, and the Minister of Families, Children, and Social Development. Alex and Danielle joined me today to talk about the budget. This is Political Traction. So Alex, Danielle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Alex, last week, uh, the Ontario budget came out and we did a show with Laura Stone and Colin DeMello from uh, Queen's Park, uh, the Queen's Park Bureau. And they said that one of the uh, best parts about budget day is the pizza that they get. Uh, Did you get any pizza this week? No, uh, I'm not. Yeah. I didn't know in Ontario at Queen's Park, they, are they just getting pizza? I didn't even know about that. I haven't heard anything about that. But I, I was just slamming licorice and that some of my colleagues brought like chocolate licorice, uh, smoked turkey wrap, which um, my colleague Susan gave me half of hers. So I had like a wrap and a half. So that was kind of good, I guess. Uh, but no, no pizza. Uh, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of pissed off, actually. Are they, is, is the government giving them pizza in the lockup or something? No, no, I, I think it's organized by the <laughs> by the bureau. OK, OK, well, then I'll allow it. That's more of an yeah, election yeah. night tradition for us at the star is a pizza for the newsroom, which I'm right. also jealous of because it's usually down in I was going to say one young in Toronto where they get the pizza for election night. But us, you know, we're scattered all over the place or we're right. So we're, we're not we don't even get pizza on election night, actually, usually unless you're well, in Toronto. So, you know, we, we were missing out all the time, I guess. You you don't want uh, Justin Trudeau buying you pizza because your Twitter mentions will just say that you've been bought and paid for uh, by, by by the Liberal Party. It, w- it wouldn't so. take much, you know, it's a nice uh, like pizza, pizza, Hawaiian, and like they got me, you know. Like, right, yeah. right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it must have been a, an exciting day. It's always uh, it, it's always pretty exciting for the uh, uh, for everybody on the Hill, staffers, press. Uh, what was your uh, what was your walk up? Uh, what was your budget day like? Uh, yeah, it's kind of an exciting day. I, somebody uh, was it Paul Wells' newsletter like sleepover for nerds for politics nerds or something. It kind of has sleepover vibes a little <laughs> bit. I think he's bang on with that. Um, but yeah, no, it was a. Um, I mean, we'll get into all the nitty gritty of it, but uh, it's always an interesting uh, interesting time. It was sort of like uh, last year, kind of had the post pandemic vibe, but it was still like partially virtual. This year was like fully pre before times with like, you know, you had to put right. put your phone in the, uh, although they let you take it with you. I think sometimes that you have to leave it at the front, but this time it was actually, you put your phone in like a paper bag and they, they yeah, seal yeah. it with a special tape and you could actually have it beside you. So, but otherwise it was, yeah, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of detached from the world for a few hours and just stuck with this uh, document trying not to like, you're almost like a prisoner to like the spin machine, which is kind of weird. You're trying to like, you know, put context into it, but you're, you're, there's nothing you can really do. You can't talk to anybody. There's a few experts in there, thank God, that are kind of drifting right. around. But, but you're really, they really have you captive to, uh, to their message for, you know, the, the entire day. Right. 
Um, Danielle, maybe you can walk us through some of the some of the big pieces in this budget. I'll start with uh, Danielle and then Alex if you want to jump in. Uh, how does this budget land? Like, what's uh, what's in it? I've heard a, I've heard a few few people's takes on it. Yeah. So there's a few big pieces in this budget that I think most people are talking about and everything else is really just gravy on top. But as as budgets go, this is a pretty thin document in terms of delivery. Um, so you have the big push that the government has made on the clean economy. They're really betting on it. And that's something that we saw that coming with Biden's IRA Act uh, from a few months ago. And then his meeting with the PM where the Three top takeaways were on the clean economy. This wasn't a surprise. I mean, even the deputy prime minister, finance minister, and the PM came decked in green for the budget announcement. So that one was pretty predictable, but still a big move from the liberals to really pounce on an opportunity that they saw for the economy. Then you have also no surprise when it comes to healthcare. After the deals with the premiers and the push on dental care, we saw a lot of that funding go into the budget for this year. So again, Nothing groundbreaking to report there. And then you have the targeted inflation measures uh, where the liberals are, are very big on making a point that this is not adding any fuel to the inflationary fire. We've read that line quite a few times now. Um, but they, they come up, come out with like a grocery rebate, which to a lot of people seems pretty insignificant in size and won't make much of a you know, much of a push to help people get out of any sort of crunch that they're feeling right now. People are feeling quite a squeeze. Interest rates are high. Inflation is making prices rise every day for them. People are seeing it every day on their bills. So they're trying to tackle the day-to-day -day challenges. They, they've even come up with uh, with ways to try to create more day-to-day -day supports like the charger ports, right? So they're trying to really make it relatable. They're trying to make this budget sound to regular Canadian like something that will help them. Now, obviously, regular Canadians are not reading this budget, so they have to bank on people talking about it the way that they'd like to sell it. Yeah, most of the commentary I've seen suggests that this budget is large in scope, um, but small on narrative, uh, that there are a lot of little stars, but they don't really form a larger constellation. What, would you agree with that characterization, Alex? Uh, how would you rate the messaging of this budget? Um, I mean, the, the way that I was covering it, I was really focusing on the uh, the sort of response to the Inflation Reduction Act and the, the incentives for the clean economy that the Americans are pushing, and and how this this budget positions Canada uh, competitively in the in the emerging low carbon world. Um, and in that regard, I think that was sort of one of the main messages. So if if they were trying to say, uh, I, at least I, that message came to me loud and clear in, in just in hearing the officials in the lockup and, and and reading the budget, it seemed that they were really trying to stress that, you know, they had that interesting pyramid of of uh, priorities of how they're going to try and, and position Canada in the, in the low carbon economy with the, the the carbon pricing system being the base, and then these new these new tax credits to spur the adoption of and spread of clean electricity and clean manufacturing and critical minerals and all these things being being a, a major part of it. I, that messaging came through to me, um, so I think that they you know they explained that reasonably well, I guess. Um, but in terms of sort of like a broader thing to just to sort of the, the person at the donut shop in Toronto reading the Toronto Star or whatever, you know, um, I'm not sure what they would take away. Maybe that, you know, was there enough fiscal restraint? Is this is this responsible? Um, you know, one of the big things I think was uh, was that, you know, 
the fiscal economic statement last fall had a balanced budget sort of on the edge of the time horizon, and they kicked that off with this one by increasing spending. Um, that might be something that a lot of people hear based on the coverage. So I don't know if they, you know, they definitely talked about how despite debt to GDP ratio going up a little bit, I think it's this year, it's it's tracking down. So, you know, it's arguably still um, fiscally responsible, but uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the average person will, will remember from this. I don't know. Well, would you say that this is a restrained budget in the way that the uh, the finance minister had been intimating in the in the weeks leading up to the budget? Because I've, I've heard on one hand, Danielle, like I've heard people say that this is a, a thin budget. It's not the first time I've used I've heard that adjective used to describe it. But then I've also heard critics of it saying that it's pretty pretty gargantuan and it's uh, in 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 the actual amount of money that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's important to remember the context that we're dealing with here. For the Liberals, this is restraint. Um, and just look at the history. I mean, this is their eighth budget. For them, this is them saying that we're dropping our spending. We're, we're bringing things closer. Obviously, they predicted for it to be, I believe, $30 billion um, when they released a full economic statement. It's obviously more than that by quite a few dollars here and there. Um, so, yeah, it's a substantial deficit. But for the liberals, this is what they're basically trying to paint as a picture of we're dialing things back. And one thing to remember is for them, they did have a few targets and the dollar amount was not one of those targets. And when you take away what the NDP was expecting out of them, as opposed to making this a confidence motion budget, they turned it into a budget that lets them buy time to get it right next time. Right. And so that's really my main takeaway from what they were trying to do here. I, I don't think they were trying to be in the black. I think they were really trying to just get through it. Last year, we saw a big push on housing. They were tackling a crisis. It was a very aggressive, very ambitious budget. This year, they were just trying not to make a crisis worse. So it's very different, much less ambitious. And I think it just bought them time. You mentioned there's a lot to unpack there. You mentioned uh, the NDP. And one of the larger uh, signature pieces of this budget is uh, finally coming through on this dental care uh which was a, a prerequisite for NDP support. I think the confidence uh, supply agreement is uh, um, about a, it's almost a year old now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. And this is something that they've been asking for. It would have been pretty disastrous to Jagmeet Singh if the budget came out and it wasn't in there. Um, do you think that that's going to mollify the NDP? Alex, I'll, I'll, I'll the question at you. Yes. I mean, the, the day after the budget, Jigmeet, uh, he's in front of his caucus. It's almost like, you know, there, he had a big setup, a uh, big speech for the cameras. Uh, I think his podium said, like, dental care for Canadians or something. So they, they, he, they were claiming victory uh, in, in an un, unambiguous way, signaling uh, very clearly that there's no way in hell they're not supporting this budget. And they, they say, you know, the good progressive programs that if you're a left-leaning person, you see in this stuff, that's because of us. So that's that's the argument they're trying to make. The liberals uh, seem happy to let them make that argument. Um, you know, it, it's it's true that dental care was, was, was something that the NDP brought to the fore. So I think in some ways they can credibly claim credit for that, pushing the liberals to do that through the seal. So 
So I think that in some ways they feel good about this and that they are trying to advance that argument that this deal was worth it for us, that, that if you vote NDP and you get a liberal minority government, we can still accomplish policies that you might want to see if you're a social democratic person. Um, so I think that that they seem for the time being still happy to try and advance that argument and and stay in this deal. So I think uh, I think the budget is is uh, they probably would have wanted more stuff, maybe more health care, more, you know, there's a bit of awkwardness around the fossil fuel subsidies and what they see as, you know, some tax credits being uh, like some environmentalists say, maybe uh, unnecessary supports for very profitable oil and gas companies. Um, so they have some problems with it, but I think overall that they are happy to say, rah, 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 look at the dental care, look at what we did for right. you. Yeah, the yeah. classification of uh, carbon capture as one of those uh, one of those clean tech um, uh, areas of in, of investment. I know that the NDP isn't uh, isn't a huge fan of carbon capture as a, uh, as a piece. Daniel, sorry, you were you were jumping in. Yeah, no, I was just going to jump in because uh, I, I fully agree when when we say that. Uh, it's a it's a win for the NDP in the sense that they can claim it. They can claim that they brought it forward. But I think it's a win for the Liberals because they put the NDP on side. They have them out there celebrating their budget in the in the news for them. Uh, they don't even have to step out and say anything to claim victory to just let the NDP go out and give them all the free press that they need. And then you have the fact that the NDP is not really the Liberals' main challenge, right? They don't want to position themselves as the alternative to a progressive government, right? They want to position themselves as the only al alternative to a conservative government. And so having the NDP back you up publicly and what you've done is a perfect play to just sit back, relax, and watch them go have that fight for you and ultimately just show how the conservatives have been simply against all these important measures that everyone seems to agree on except the conservatives right so that's really the play for the liberals here is it's not to pick a fight and to say no that was our idea no that was our win it's just to sit back and wait for the right time to pounce when you have all the cards in your favor and then to come out and, and make a real push against the conservatives because that's the real competition here, right? Like we're not we're not discussing who's going to vote NDP versus liberal. We're going to vote who we're, we're discussing who's going right. to switch their vote to liberal to avoid a conservative government. Yeah, and you still get the benefits of an NDP government by voting liberal, but you also mitigate the risk of a conservative government if you're a yeah. center left left voter. And I can yeah. see I can see the appeal there. Well, let's talk about the, the conservatives. What was their response to the budget? Because like, like, this is very much an industrial policy focused budget talking about clean tech. Um, this is a, a weird area for the government, for, for, sorry, for the the uh, the, the, Maybe the of, uh, conservatives. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll just publish this episode in a year or two. But, um, for uh, the uh, for the conservative party, this is a weird area for them because they've campaigned against the carbon tax. They they've tried to come up with alternatives to it, uh, but they're you know squarely pro industry. Uh, have they indicated support for maybe not the whole budget? I mean, they have to be the you know the loyal oppositions to to push back against the budget as a whole. But how how has the, these industrial uh, aspects uh, landed with the uh, with the conservatives? So their their initial reaction, unsurprisingly, was this is a big spending budget. This is going to crank up inflation. This is irresponsible. This is this is. This is out of control, basically. Um, yesterday, Polyev scrummed again in the in the foyer outside the House of Commons, and we were peppering him with questions about 
about the, exactly what you're talking about, the, the, the tax credits, what do you guys think, um, blah, blah, blah. And he's not really clear. He's saying, you know, um, the government's not getting stuff built anyways. So we would we would remove the gatekeepers and remove the red tape to ensure that big projects get built and that, you know, that our industries uh, and like a critical mineral industry, for example, would be able to succeed. But he's not really clear on, OK, but do you support the, you know, 80 billion dollars over over the next 11 years on these this suite of new tax credits to spur clean electricity, to spur clean clean technology manufacturing to encourage the extraction of critical minerals for the supply chains of electric vehicles and all the stuff that they need. So um, it's, it's, it's a bit uh, ambiguous where exactly they stand and where, what they would do if they won power with these tax credits. They, they haven't really answered that question. And just quickly, another uh, aspect of that, which could be interesting to watch for is, and I hope I can even explain this because I, you know, I don't, I'm just some guy talking. I don't know what I'm talking about. But the <laughs> contract for difference was was uh, something they signaled again in this budget, which my understanding of that is uh, it would be a way for the government to potentially um, create an insurance program for the carbon tax, so the industrial carbon tax, so that big businesses that that make business decisions and spend to reduce emissions will have an insurance policy if a future government dismantles that system and there's no longer uh, a, a regulatory incentive to have those emissions reductions programs. So in other words, it would it might make it harder for a future conservative government, which is campaigning somewhat vaguely on scrapping the carbon tax, would that also mean scrapping the, the federal industrial system? And if so, would that be more difficult if there was some sort of insurance program where if the federal government did that, they'd have to pay out a bunch of companies? If that makes it's sense, a, so, so that's a bit in the weeds, but that that's an interesting thing, kind of burbling in the background of this budget. That that that, that is interesting. It's kind of an insurance policy on a, a Trudeau legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. No, absolutely, and I think uh, I think this is the carrot, right? So the the tax credits here for the industry are is the carrot. The carbon tax was the stick, and so obviously the the conservatives want to focus on that stick. Uh, you'll notice that when when they do. I think since yesterday, since after the budget, um, they dealt with the budget, they they spoke on it, they didn't give much of a position other than it's very expensive, and then they switched back to their crime narrative and wanted to just talk about that, right? They tried to move on, they knew that they didn't have much of a win here on the attack side when it comes to the budget, so they let the, the liberals have their news day, and then they try to switch the conversation back to some something that they can actually argue and, and work mm -hmm. against. I, I mean, I even saw a clip by their deputy leader a couple hours before the budget saying they would vote against it, right? So it's it's, it's not like the, the conservatives are, are waiting to give the liberals the benefit of the doubt in terms of their spending and they don't really care how it comes off in terms of what they want to sell it's their message to the regular canadian listening is that we're going to protect you from the taxes we're going to protect you from the overspending and having your kids uh, not be able to have a future built for themselves where they can't retire peacefully and they they pushed a lot on housing um, and said that the liberals truly they dropped the ball in terms of proper funding for for housing and so they, they really focused on the holes but then tried to move on very quickly because there, a lot of the big items in this year's budget are hard to argue and that's what the liberals were banking on is that there isn't much to attack even when you say it's expensive then the question goes back to the conservatives in terms of what are you going to cut and then there's no answer so that, that's an interesting line there. There's two two things you talked about, housing and crime, which from 
the middle of Toronto right here, those are the two biggest issues that people are talking about about right now. But there is uh, arguably uh, from some housing advocates that I've uh, that you know I follow on Twitter. So grain of salt. There's not a whole lot on housing here. There's also not a whole lot on uh, things like bail reform or putting more money into the criminal justice system to clear up that that you know that backlog to get you know allow us to keep violent offenders off the streets. Like those are the two biggest issues in Toronto right now. In Toronto, the third biggest issue, or maybe today, because city council is meeting at the same time, um, is we have this huge budget shortfall. And our uh, deputy mayor uh, has basically walked up to Queen's Park with hat, hat in hand and got nothing last week in the provincial budget. And Christy Freeland this week uh, pretty much told her to take a hike. Um, so, and I'm, I'm taking a bit of a roundabout way to ask this question. Cities and inner suburbs make up a significant part of the liberal coalition. And there's very little in this budget for cities, it looks like. Um, what does that tell you about how the liberal government is approaching that part of their coalition? Um, is Am I misreading the situation here? Or is it just as simple as like they're confident that they're not going into an election soon, so they don't really feel like they need to water that part of the garden? You know, this is just me uh, talking again, but uh, my my guess would be that it, it's it's more the latter that, that that they have a especially on a city like Toronto and the, the four the true four one six Toronto. I mean, it they it's been a liberal sweep since twenty fifteen. Um, they have a really firm grip on 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 a lot of these kind of urban areas. Um, but it is something that kind of, you know that that Toronto noticed, and I, I'd be I haven't canvassed all the all the GTA or Toronto MPs about this yet, but it, I'd be curious to know what they think about the fact that the feds aren't stepping up to help the city of Toronto with this hole in its budget. You know, one of our columnists uh, had a headline today about yeah, it's it truly is Toronto versus everybody after this budget. You know, like no one's coming in to say <laughs> so if, that, if that feeling is kind of burbling, that's that's kind of interesting. I don't I don't know uh, what that means, but but yeah, in terms of uh, their constituent, I, I think this budget, just given the given the uh, what what the NDP reaction and what what it allowed the NDP to say, I think I think it's fair to say that that the the confidence and supply agreement after this is is, is lasting for a while longer and puts off the prospect of an election. Um, we, I think we need confident in that for, for the, the near to medium term, I guess, whatever that means. Yeah. And I think uh, just to add to that, I think what we're for, forgetting to differentiate between is Toronto City Council and Torontonians and how they what their takeaways are here. So when I look at the Liberal government's efforts in Toronto, if you look at just the news cycle every week, there's about one or two ministers in Toronto making an announcement of some sort. So they know that they have this steady suite of funding that's being pumped into the city, whether it's on housing, infrastructure, you name it, it's, there's just constantly coming back. They're constantly announcing new funding, new projects, new, new infrastructure, and they don't see budget day as a time to make it about Toronto. And that's one of those things where with the Liberal government, they always get blamed for giving too much to Toronto and focusing too much on the big cities. So what they try to do on budget day is to make it really a national scope and then 
when the regular news cycle comes back, they start to hit up the cities again and they, and they keep that traction going. So they, in my opinion, it's easy for council to look at it as we've been you know, left stranded here. Uh, but from the Liberals' perspective, all they do is go back to Toronto and, and give them more funding, no matter what type of program it is. Toronto always gets the biggest bulk of the funding and you go into any other major city and you'll hear that too. Uh, so I, I do think that Torontonians who are not paying attention to what's in the budget and are just, you know, hearing it from the spokespersons that are just talking about the different items in the budget. No one's really looking at it as, you know, oh, what about the city council's ask here, right? What about us? They're looking more as, well, they've been here every week for the past four years, five years even. Uh, they've been constantly visiting. I, I don't think people are noticing really that budget day came and went in Toronto. I think they're just noticing what they keep getting over and over again. No, that's that, that's that's a fair point. Just a quick quick uh, subject change to talk about uh, the cabinet. People have been talking about the post Trudeau Liberals for years now, and it seems like it's never going to come. But it's uh, it's obviously a consideration for prospective successors in cabinet. How do you think this budget lands with those cabinet ministers considering a run uh, at the top job? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a funny question because I think we've been talking about it since Trudeau came to the position. Um, and everyone's like, okay, now that he's here, who's next, right? And so everybody always likes to give a leader about a shelf life of one election before they start to speculate. Um, I think one of the... Obviously, if you look at it from just a budget perspective, you have some clear ministers, ministers that are winning out of this. Champagne and, and Wilkinson obviously come to mind. Um, Duclos has lots to, to go off of, but obviously he's in a very tough spot and he's not the one that I would bank on trying to make a run for uh, any leadership. Champagne is the one that really comes to mind out of the cohort, um, out of the winners of the budget. And, and he's very well liked in liberal circles. He's very well respected. And he's got a very far reaching influence um, across the country. I think, again, when we're talking about liberals, we're gonna be voting for the next leader, right? Um, so I think for him, this is really an opportunity to hit or miss. Uh, there's a lot of strong leading ministers in cabinet right now who constantly get speculated around in terms of who's next. Are they gonna be the next leader? Uh, obviously Freeland, Anon, Jolie, they, they all come to mind all the time when, when people are talking about the next leadership race. Uh, and Champagne often gets overlooked. So I think this is kind of his moment to break through that noise and to, to make his mark. And uh, obviously it's his for the taking if he's able to, but from what I've seen over and over again is the man is constantly overlooked. <laughs> so I wouldn't bank too hard on, on this making a huge difference now. Alex, what, what, what do you think? I mean, God, I, I don't know if my, how much my thoughts on this are, are uh, worth anything, but uh, I, I think Danielle's right that there's a lot of like Wilkinson stuff in this budget. Um, a lot of things that I, you know, his team, the clean electricity stuff, uh, working on very closely. So I think uh, um, if that's a win for him personally, which I, I guess it is, and that, you know, bolsters his profile potentially as a, uh, as a thinker in this government and an influential policymaker in this government. Also agreeing with Danielle, there's champagne stuff all over this um, with, you know, his his sort of global courtship of uh, of uh, of, uh, you know, like the Volkswagens and electric car uh, manufacturers and try, really trying to sell Canada as the place to build 
low carbon economy stuff and uh, inject ourselves into the sort of North American supply chain as much as possible in in uh, in these types of things. Uh, there's there's uh, some champagne wins there too, uh, I guess. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I don't know how the budget positions like uh, Christian Freeland for for the potential future leadership. It depends, like, you know, the Bay Street reaction to this this budget. There was a Scotia Bank thing I saw where it was like really scathing. I saw uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, like like very harsh judgment on on this on the, the lack of spending restraint, I guess, and almost like saying that they're going at, like going after the rich, like it was almost like a class war type critique. Right. Uh, but that was the, the by far the harshest thing I've seen from from uh, the business world. Uh, otherwise, it seems like it's relatively either lukewarm or reasonably okay with it, I guess. Um, so, in terms of uh, you know being the finance minister, where the, where this carries her, I, I don't exactly know. I'd be curious to know what you guys think. But but uh, interesting questions for sure. Yeah, and I think because if we're talking about leadership alone, we're not talking about the next prime minister, we're really just talking about the next liberal leader, assuming that this prime minister steps down from his role. And we're talking about the liberal base, they, their minds are kind of set. So it's going to take a big push from whatever candidates do end up stepping up to actually change the perspective of people. So a lot of liberals are, have been thinking about this for since the second election when the liberals got a minority. Um, and so a lot of people started speculating, people started to kind of pick their sides in terms of who they would like to see, at least. Uh, and then they kind of rank them in terms of who would be best to worse in their perspective. So because this this government has been it, it's had a very stretched out length of its mandate, it's given people time to think. So if you're talking to liberals who have been around, who are going to be physically voting for the next leader, chances are those liberals' minds are made up. It's just going to be how well they mobilize to get the votes for, for their candidates. So I, I, as much as I, I love to speculate in terms of, okay, Freeland's all set because she's very popular with the base, her champagne is very well liked and social and has been essentially campaigning from people's perspective for quite a long time now. Um, same thing with the non Jolie. It doesn't matter. It's just how you mobilize a team. If you if you have a candidate that's motivating people enough to go out there and put their name with a check mark on the ballot, then great. If not, then you can love Champagne, you can love Freeland. And if you sit at home and do nothing, that's that's the reality of the situation, right? So I just think that Champagne and Freeland have the best odds at mobilizing with the, the liberal base. Um, but we're all also just talking about sitting cabinet ministers, right? We haven't really expanded the thought process of who else could be joining this race. And I think it, it keeps it keeps things surprising and fun that way. So I kind of like the, the element of who could it be and who else could just jump in at the last second and swoop it away from them. And then we've seen that happen provincially quite a lot recently. So I'd like to see something like that too. I'd like to see a real shift in the Liberal Party. Alex, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so for much, Adam. Appreciate it. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show was edited by Holden Wine and produced by Thomas Ashcroft, Matthew Barnes, Jeff Costin, Jenny McElwain, and Jahan Muhammad. I'm Adam Owen. Have a great summer.